Welcome to the Trilogy Lacrosse Theater 2020, our YouTube channel where we discuss lacrosse highlights with the all-stars who created them. These are the audio files, and I'm your host, Mitch Belisle. All right, here we go. Episode 23 of the Trilogy Lacrosse Theater. Excited to bring Chaz Woodson, a.k.a. Coach Woodson, as your name implies, uh, onto the onto the uh, the podcast webinar, whatever you want to call it, Chaz, how are we doing? Life is good, man. Life is good. I got no complaint. Well, got a few. <laughs> uh, we're doing all right. I'm holding up. Good, good. And you're you're coming from South Florida, right? Correct. Yeah. Down here in Miami. Fifteen years this week, actually. Yeah. After- we- we can dive. We can dive further into it. But why? How did you? How did? Uh, how did you end up in Miami? And now you're like almost like a true Floridian at this point. It's weird, man. Um, so, I, so really, I, I always had this intention of moving to Miami. I had no conception of what Miami really was. I had never been here. I don't have any friends or family here, or I didn't at the, at the time. I still don't have any family here. Right? Never had any friends here. Uh, it was just somewhere I wanted to be, and. I ended up getting an opportunity to come down through Teach for America, um, you know, just keep thinking it and willing it into existence. And uh, and I, I got this opportunity. I applied. Um, at the time, Miami was, I think it was the third year of the uh, Miami Corps for Teach for America. And uh, it, it, it's a tough place to teach uh, in those environments. And so I think the first couple of years, they had a large uh, turnover. And a lot of a lot of people that didn't stick with it, so they were really focused on number one, building it uh, to be bigger, but number two, making sure that they got people that were really committed to the work. And um, and so so I landed it, and here I am, 15 years later. Wow, no income tax. I mean, you're living the high life down there, right? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> awesome. Well, you know, I think uh, we we talked. Last week, we were, got the opportunity to have a, a L.A. Riptide reunion. And, and, you know, thanks to you. I think you were really the driving force that spearheaded making that a reality, which was so much fun. Guys we hadn't seen in 13, 14 years. Um, it was just – it was awesome. And from not just the players, but the staff and doctors. And it was such a great time, too. I mean, like, I still say, if you ask anybody that was on one of those teams – like, if you notice, we had guys that got cut guys that, you know, retired, like, if you ask anybody, being a part of that was a special, special thing, and, um, and I've spoken to a lot of guys that didn't play on the Riptide, too, that wish they had, <laughs> some of those guys that won championships, and, you know, had, had successful careers outside of that, just said they wish they had been able to be a part of something like that. Yeah, and, and I, it's, it's almost impossible to find someone who had a bad experience on that team. Right. And, like, to your point, guys that got cut, they were there for, like, one week, you know, your teammate at Brown, Dave Madeira, still talks about his training camp for the Riptide and how much fun he had. So, um, awesome. Well, you know, and, and since that call, I have wanted to, to get you on here. I think, you know, this, this show we've used as a platform to talk a lot about lacrosse and, and look at highlights. And you have some of the, the, a.k.a. the human highlight reel. You've got some of the most fun highlights to watch, and we'll certainly get to that. But, you know, after – some of the things that are going on in our country over the last, you know, four or five, six days. And then you could go back to 400 years. Um, if you, you know, 
it, I thought this would be a great opportunity to, to talk a little bit deeper and, and probably dive into something that maybe a lot of our audience um, has heard different perspectives, but that, that's the big piece that I wanted to talk through with, with you about is like, there's no right answers here. And, and I think that's what we're all searching for in this um, is, is, you know, everyone wants to, I, I think everyone wants to do the right thing and, and different people are trying to do the right thing and um, are looking to find answers in a time that answers are really difficult. Um, and I think the biggest thing is like, I don't think it's fair to ask any one person to, to come up with the answers, um, but very interested to hear your perspectives as a, a black player growing up in a predominantly white sport and going to a, a, an Ivy League institution where you're you know, probably in the minority there. Um, and, and very curious to hear some of your thoughts and, and perspectives because I do think that's important. And that's how we grow is by getting other people's perspectives. Yeah, man, the, the, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, and it, and it's, it's, it, to me, it seems like it's, there's more and more every day, really. Um, you know, you got the historical context of everything. Then you've got um, people that are kind of just opening their eyes to things that they really have either uh, consciously ignored or, uh, or subconsciously ignored or have just never had to confront, right? It's never been something that's been on their radar or in front of their face. Um, then you, you've got things happening in real time that are completely out of the norm or out of, you know, the collective norm uh, of this country. And, and so people are really trying to figure out everything from every different angle, whether, whether you're black, white, or whatever. Um, everybody's trying to figure out where we go, right? And what, what do we do? And, and what's the best course of action? What's going to help things? What's going to fix things? How can I help? Um, how can I help other people help? How can I educate people? Um, do I need to educate people? Should I be educating people? There's, there's so many angles to this and, um, and, it, and it's, and it's exhausting. It, it's exhausting for everybody. If you really care and you're really paying attention, it, sh it should be exhausting. Um, and, and so that's what the last few weeks have been for me, just trying to navigate all that. And, and at the same time, you know, help other people that are trying to navigate it. Um, I think that's, one of the things that, that makes my position in this sport so unique is that um, there are a lot of people reaching out to me and, and trying to figure and, and it's it's a good thing um, but it also tells us a lot um, tells me a lot right if if I've got all these people reaching out to me that um, they need answers or want answers it's like well why why are they reaching out to me as opposed to doing their own research, right? Or why don't they have other people that they can reach out to? And, um, you know, that's not a knock on it. I, I certainly am uh, happy to be of service. I, I think that's that's uh, an obligation I have, uh, not in, not just in this sport, but as, as uh, a black man today, it, it, as a black 37 year old man today, I, I think um, I need to do my part. I need to do some educating. I need to do some helping. I need to do some um, talking. And, um, and, and that's not just to white people or allies or people who don't understand. It's also to, you know, people who do understand and people that are just struggling day to day right now. And people that have kids that are trying to figure out what they say to their kids and, um, you know, players. So it's a lot. There's a whole lot to unpack here right now. Um, I've, I've got a list. I've been all week I've been trying to write something um, 
but I've got, you know, work obligations and things I had to close out this week. So I haven't gotten to it, but every time something comes up or I'm listening to something, I'm jotting notes down. So I got a, two pages of just little notes, not even two pages, like written things, just little tiny notes that are covering this page right now that I got to somehow piece together for no other reason than just to, for my own sanity to get it out. Um, so there's a lot. I got a lot going on and, and so does the rest of this world right now. Yeah. And I think, I think I definitely want to, I've seen the word exhausting and I think it's, it's absolutely true. And, and to the point you just made, you know, as, as one of the fewer, and it's amazing to look now how much, how many more black faces there are in at the highest level of the sport, which gotta imagine is trickling down into the youth levels. Um, but certainly, you know, don't want, don't want to put additional burden on anyone and and, uh, and I think to that to your point, it's like it is about it's about educating and it's about understanding perspectives um, because I I do feel like everyone's everyone's different, right? Everyone's got a different perspective. Your perspective go, growing up in Virginia and going to Brown in Rhode Island is completely different from someone who grew up in in Dade County and went to a historically black college. You know, there's there's so many different ways, but I, but I do think you know you look at all of what's going on from, from the top to the bottom. I, I think if people just had a little bit more understanding of each other uh, and, and I, to me, the biggest thing that I'm seeing is like people could just sit back and deescalate things a little bit that that would solve a lot of these problems. If we took the, could take the time to deescalate, you know, from the, I don't know if you saw this Buffalo video of the older gentleman getting pushed over, like, like that didn't need to happen. You know, it's like those things that if people just, we're thinking of each other a little bit more, I think could go a long way. And, and um, kind of circling back and, and to, to some of those notes and maybe try to give you a little structure to, to maybe pick out some, some of your best tidbits that you've, that you've put down from those two pages. But like, um, you know, I, I, I think people like myself and people who feel like, you know, we, we are, are, we want this world to be a better place for, for everyone. And, and we want black people to feel completely equal and and like there's no one answer for it but is there any is there anything on there that you're like if, if I was going to say hey go out and do one thing today um what would that one thing be man one thing uh and I, <laughs> I got I got plenty I think one of the things that you just mentioned is that you said black people I think that's a huge component of this right like we know there are uh, systemic issues that that involve the oppression of people of color in, in the society. Um, but there is no one group, save for perhaps Native Americans, um, that have been more oppressed in uh, the United States than black people. Um, and, and so, and, and that goes the whole, along with the whole idea of black lives matter, right? Like, yes, we know all lives matter, but, but black lives have traditionally and systemically not mattered. Right. So, yeah, I, I think being intentional about the words we say and about what we're addressing and what we're uh, speaking to right now, I think that's that's a big piece. Um, I think you've got to be very comfortable being uncomfortable. I, I think you've got to be very comfortable um, digging into some things that are going to make you uncomfortable. Right. So it's not just seeing it's not just listening, but actually going to find some things and finding the history of the of this country. Um, one of the things that I, or one of the uh, resources that I always suggest people listen to are uh, 
or not listen to, but watches the 13th um, on Netflix, which is a phenomenal history of, uh, or a documentary on the, the, the history of uh, policing and, uh, and criminal justice in, in the society as it pertains to um, black people. Um, that provides context, I think, for a lot of this. And I think it's not it's not going to tell you everything you need to know, um, but it certainly provides great context and history for why we are where we are. Uh, another really short piece that, I, that I've been directing people to is uh, Sean King's podcast. And, and uh, he has one episode that's just entitled, Are You Racist? And um, you can find it on Instagram, I'm sure probably elsewhere as well. But um, I think what's important about that particular one is it, it again it's more framework and the idea behind it that, that he gets to is that the opposite of racist is not not racist right like everybody wants to say i'm not racist or my friends are not racist or the police are not racist or i don't have a, he, he uses a phrase i don't have a racist bone in my body right like yeah we know that but he gets to the it's not not racist it's anti-racist right like are you doing all the things that you can do in order to identify racism in order to combat racism in order to bring it to light um so i, th I think little things like that just going into educating yourself and then of course there's millions and millions of books um and books and videos and resources that you can tap into uh two books that we're actually doing as a faculty this summer are uh uh, one is White Fragility, and the other one, I'm blanking on the name right now. It'll come back to me, or I'll see it on one of my notes somewhere. Um, but, but just, again, resources in terms of uh, providing yourself context and a real understanding, foundational understanding of why we are in this space. Um, so you can do all the posting you want and talking you want and... and shouting at the top of your lungs and marching and and i love it and that's great and i think we all need to do those things but we also have enough have to have an understanding of why we're doing what we're doing right it's not just because george floyd was killed that that was the catalyst that that, that, that was the 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 match right that, that set off the bomb that that's going on right now but uh but but that's not that's not everything that's that's at play here and and there are so many other things beyond just policing, right? Policing is at, at the front and center right now, um, but there's so many other factors involved in, in, in systematic racism and systematic oppression uh, that we need to be aware of. Yeah, and that, that 13th is, is so eye-opening to that systemic piece of it. And, you know, I, I think that's to me, maybe the scariest, but also most hopeful piece of this is like, you look at, you watch that video and they talk about, uh, you know, just quick, short short synopsis of part of it is like that the war on drugs and the war on crime in the 80s you have a whole generation of black fathers black role models that end up in jail that was 30 years ago and that's still the after the effects of that are still felt so deeply um, right. and, and that to me i think is probably what scares a lot of people is like this is not a quick fix right it's 400 years right. 400 years and then even in the last 30 years it's like ramped up or or you could argue just you know changed the way it's happened so you know shifting gears into that systemic piece i mean i, I think that's where and talk talking about hope 
actions speak louder than words, right? You can go out and you can march, but it's sustained effort over time to elect new officials, to put policies in place that take time to have results. And, and you really don't even know the results of those until it's 10, 15, 20 years down the line. So um, anything that you've kind of at, on the systemic level that you've started to outline or, or had thoughts about? No, to be honest with you, I, I'm so right now, I, I, my mind is so jumbled. I'm still trying to work through everything. Um, I, I want to say voting, right? But I, I do believe in that. I, I, but I also believe that it's not just showing up in, you know, November and voting for whoever. Um, it, it, it's the local local elections are, are, are what I think um, is significantly more important and it, and it doesn't get enough push. Um, well, it, it doesn't get enough push from the right people at the right times. And, and, uh, and hopefully maybe, you know, maybe we're in a point right now where uh, the spotlight is on that and, and, and people realize how important those are. Um, but, but that matters in terms of getting people in the right places and at the state level, at the city level. Um, you know, when it comes to housing, when it comes to all these little things that have have traditionally been used um, to keep people in certain places, um, socioeconomically, geographically, and otherwise. Um, so I, I think that's the that's the one thing from a systematic standpoint right now that I, I've been able to wrap my head around, and I know that's not the sole answer, kind of to your point earlier, and um, and I'm still working through what that is, but, um, but we got to do a better job of, of, of educating ourselves. I think one thing that I, I, I guess from, to answer the question, uh, another way I have, uh, I've been trying to kind of remind people that, that because we have to attack this from so many different angles and so many different areas, it, it's important that you know what you're good at. It's important that you know, you know, what your talents are, what your gifts are, and, and then how you use those to help in various places, right? Like not everybody is, is gonna be out in the streets protesting. Not everybody is gonna run for Congress. Not everybody is gonna run for city council, but if you're an educator, be the best educator that you can be. And then and make sure you're educating your kids about the right things, right? Like if you're a coach, make sure you're creating spaces for uh, players of color, for black players, for everybody to to not only be successful, right, on, on a field or on a court or whatever, but also so that they have an understanding of what the world is like when they leave that field or court, right? Um, you know, I, I always take my guys out to, uh, to do this particular service project. Um, and a large part of that is, yeah, we want to do the service, but also I want them, I, I want them to be in, in this community and see what, you know, what they're not seeing on a daily basis, right? I want to expose them to that um, so that they have an understanding when, when they move forward. You know, some of my kids will never ever uh, experience anything outside of the community that they live in, right? They don't have to. They don't have to see poverty. They don't have to see um, destroyed homes. Uh, and, I, and I don't mean that physically. They don't need to, they don't have to witness um, or experience the trauma uh, that is a result of years and years of systemic oppression in this country. Um, it's very easy to turn away. It's very easy to, um, to not, not even have to turn away, just not see it. 
um, and they could go their whole lives like that. So if, if the only thing that they see regarding these communities is what they see on TV or what they see on the news or when they see a riot or when they see somebody going to jail or what they see in the movies, um, you, know, you know, you have to realize how we're, we're being programmed and processed all the time. Don't you think it's funny that um, there's no other music than hip hop music that constantly degrades uh, black women and black people? Um, there's no other, there's no other community uh, that creates music that is uh, discriminatory against themselves. Um, but that music goes through, that music gets, gets okayed uh, because it, it sells, because people are buying it, right? Um, and it's more popular than positive music. It's more popular than uh, music that talks about uh, black pride and black power. And, um, but the people at the top of that food chain are white people, by and large, right? Like who, the, the ones who are writing the checks and the ones who are uh, you know, determining what gets played on the airwaves. And um, so, so it, there's so many little different angles of this that, that I think uh, we all, yeah, like we all have to be aware of, but we all have, have to be uh, ready to address using using what we're best at you know so right. I, I find out what you're best at educate yourself and then see where that mesh point is see what you can you can do to attack yeah and i i love that i love that like what what are your gifts what are you good at because it's you know it feels tangible it's like I, i'm not gonna i have two little kids like i'm probably not gonna drive into new york city and go to the front lines of a protest today. Um, what, where else, you know, what are the things I'm doing? I'm interacting with hundreds of kids via Zoom every, every week for our trilogy clinics. Can I talk to them at the end of the clinic about the things that are going on in our world? Like, yes, I can. And, and so I do think that's a, that's a great point. Something else you brought up, I think, you know, going back to the systemic piece is you hear in Hollywood so much about representation, right? And and I think that's true at every level of every level of life, representation in government, representation in music, you know, the music industry, executives and, and the highest level of business. I think once we get that level of representation to start being a little bit more reflective of the people that are the consumer, that's, that's where the understanding and the knowledge starts to match up with, with some of the things that are going on. Yeah, then we, then we stop seeing campaigns like Coolest Monkey in the Jungle with the little black kid wearing the shirt, you know, for a company. Like those, those things don't happen when you have people in the right places um, that, that can say, why on earth would that ever be okay? Why would you think to do that? So. Well, and, and another kind of thought thing that I would be curious to hear from you and, and your experience. Um, and again, like, right, we're, we're, we're athletes by, by trade. We want to know what a problem is, be able to, think through the steps, how to attack that problem, get that, improve at it, and ultimately be our best. Like that's our mindset as athletes. Um, so this is a challenging area for a lot of us because it's like the mental map is like you said, it's all over the place. It's like, well, I actually don't know what concrete next steps I can take. Right. Um, I don't know what sprints I can do to, to be an anti-racist. Yeah. Um, and one thing I, I thought would be potentially enlightening is, you know, what are, do you have any examples that you can remember from your time in a locker room where someone that you know is not racist, you know, they're, they're not racist, but they did or said something that you're like, Hmm, that's, that's probably like, they didn't realize that's hurtful, but that's, that's like a microaggression or that's something that 
they probably could have done a better job of that, or I should let them, or maybe you did let them know. But the, the, I'd be curious if you, if anything pops to your mind where it's like, that wasn't, it, it was someone who's not blatantly racist, but it wasn't anti-racist, that's for sure. And, and Honestly, I, I cannot. And, and the reason for that is there are so many. <laughs> I mean, like, it, microaggressions happen so routinely and, and without those people ever being conscious of it and, and um, in, in fairness, uh, it would probably be, or it sh it, I should be able to call them on that. Um, but that's the uncomfortable position. That, that you find yourself in or that I find myself in sometimes is um, not as much now. Like, I, I don't think I would mind. Um, let me rephrase it. There are times right now where I don't mind speaking up. There are other times where the immediate thought of speaking up is exhausting. It's like, why am I even going to bother wasting my breath on this? Um, either because what it's going to take to explain it is exhausting or because you know that person it's it's like speaking to a wall they're not going to get it because they don't want to get it um and and so when i think about all the times you know as a younger guy uh that it that it happened um it, that that's sort of the same thought process like yeah i probably should have spoken up but it either didn't feel like it was going to go anywhere or it just felt like it was, it was too much. And when you don't have uh, the people around you and the support around you, that's tough. Like, because now you're not going to say anything, but you're still stuck in that environment. Um, so yeah, it's tough. And now, and now in a situation like that, I'm, I'm hopeful, you know, from a lot of what I've been seeing and, and reading and trying to educate myself, you know, you're in a locker room and someone says something that probably just, again, it's thoughtless. It's not, it's not intentionally harmful, but it's thoughtless. Um, you know, having a, a white teammate step up and say, Hey man, that's probably not, probably not cool to say, like, I got to imagine that's when that allyship starts to build. Right. And that's where the anti-racism starts to, to come out, come out. Right. Sure, so you, but don't have to be the guy. you don't have to be the guy who's educated. Right. right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, and the tricky part there is number one, they have to recognize it which too often they don't because it, it, it's so, uh, depending on your, your perspective, conscious or unconscious, you know what I mean? Like, um, it, it, it's something that is so routine that they don't realize it's a microaggression or it's, um, or it's something that they don't pick up on because it's, it's just so far gone from their consciousness. Um, whereas for me, if I hear it, I'm like, yeah, I, I picked up on that right away, right? And you don't even know you said it, um, and nobody else realizes you said it. Um, so, so that stuff. But then it's also then people are put in the positions of like confronting their friends, you know. And um, I, I realize that stuff. But you, you're either you're either about the work or you're not about the work. That that's really what that comes down to. And uh, that's something that I would caution uh, young people about right now, young athletes. Um, I, I've had some conversations with my players and they're like shocked that, because they're having these conversations right now. And this might be the first time in my lifetime that, it, that so many people are having these conversations. So many young people are having these conversations, or at least 
you know, in the world of athletics and, and lacrosse that I know, right? Like typically it's very, very easy for us to just not have the conversations. Um, what I have found, what I have heard, my experience, my personal experience is that people on the other side of this debate, whatever angle of the debate we're talking about, people that are on the and, and I'll say it, the wrong side of this debate, don't care about your opinion when they speak up, right? So you can't be afraid to speak up and say the right thing. You can't be worried about losing friends over saying the right thing. You can't be worried about uh, causing conflict over saying the right thing because the people that are, that are saying and doing the wrong thing and, and continuing continuing to, to spit those same things over and over and over, they're not concerned about because they believe they're right. Um, and, and sometimes the, the, the wrong side has a tendency to be louder than the right side. And, um, and so that's the, that goes back to being, you know, comfortable being uncomfortable. And that's definition of growth, right? That's, and that's where I think a lot of this, the people that are on the wrong side of the argument are unwilling to, to grow because it's challenging. It's hard to grow. It's not, it's not comfortable. Um, and, and, and we also have to like, you know, there's, there's this attack on political correctness and that's fine because I'm not really like, I, I'm not Mr. PC, but we do have to understand that there's a difference between PC right and and saying the right thing or not saying the wrong thing like there there are certain things that just because it has been acceptable doesn't mean it's okay or because it's been acceptable in your community or in your circle that doesn't mean it's okay like somebody calling you on that isn't about being pc it's not about um you know trying to stifle what you can say uh it's about knowing that what you're saying has ramifications what you're saying uh, does actually offend people and hurt people. And it, and it hurts those people because of the history behind it, the context behind it, regardless of what you may or may not have meant, right? There, there's real history behind some of these things. And, and, and when certain things are said, they do trigger people. Hate saying trigger people like triggers that like a new buzzword. Triggers your trigger. Triggered is your trigger word. <laughs> trigger word. Well, and, and yeah, I mean, you know, as I thought through this discussion and talked about it, it's like, man, I, I want to make sure I don't say the wrong thing. But at the end of the day, you just got to trust your convictions and then educate yourself. And if you do those two things, like if you like, I'm hopeful that based on our relationship and level of trust, like you could be like, hey, Mitch, you shouldn't say that. And I'd be like, you know what, you're right. I, and, and here's the reasons why. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. And that's probably the only reason why, you know, I am where I am today, because there's been multiple of those opportunities throughout my life where people are like, it's probably not the right thing to say, or I learned like, man, I definitely shouldn't have said that back in back when I did. Um, so I, 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 you know, I appreciate that you saying that's like, look, being PC is different than saying the wrong thing and getting corrected and taking that correction and learning. Right? It's a, co it's coaching, right? It's coaching. Exactly. I was just about to say that, that that's, that's coaching. And, and that's what being an athlete is right. And being a coach, being in the sports world, it happens all the time. You can't take things personally. Like a coach, yells at you or tells you certain things, you know, it's not about you. It's about correcting a certain behavior. It's about doing something the right way. Um, it's not, it's not personal. Um, and, and so I think when people get called out on these microaggressions, they're called out. The first, 
the first thing is to jump back and be defensive, right? Like open yourself up to, to listening to why you're being called on something or and that, why you're being told something. Yeah, and that comes back to that de-escalation, right? If you can, if you can take that, swallow that bitter pill for a second, maybe have your initial, in, in, you know, your tough moment where you're like, what is, why is he coming? And then you're like, oh, okay. And then you listen to what the person's saying and the reasons I, I think that certainly can go yeah. a long and, way. And along those lines, you know, sometimes it's, my father used to always say, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. But you also got to understand that sometimes you, you, people don't have, have like the, the time and calm to make sure they're saying something nicely so that you can understand it and process it because, of, because what you're saying has is either currently inflicting so much damage or because it uh or because it has has a history or a historical context of causing so much damage and so people can you could say something that has somebody go from zero to 100 and and they're not concerned about your feelings right now um you know i had i had a conversation with somebody or, or I, I posted something and somebody responded and typically like i i enjoy engaging in discussion but what when i got it i was like I, i'm actually offended that you responded this way and um yeah <laughs> i i said a couple more things you know nothing nothing rude or inflammatory um but then the response back to that was was it hurt my feelings that you said such and such or felt such? And I'm like, I like I haven't responded since. This is like over a month now. Like the like the last thing I'm concerned about when I'm trying to actually get you to understand something real is your feelings. Like your feelings are are hurt right now because you don't understand. Your feelings are hurt because you don't see yourself in a light that uh, that you think. I, I see everybody else now, right? Like if, if, if your understanding of my explanation is that I'm attacking you or that I'm placing you in a box with everybody else and your feelings are hurt because of that, sorry dog, <laughs> your, your feelings are just gonna be hurt. And maybe your feelings need to get hurt so you can figure it out. Absolutely, well, I, and, and again, kind of looking at like, examples I, I i i'm blanking on the allegory but something along the lines of like an, an injury to thousands is or something like you know if it happens to a million people it's easy to overlook but when it happens to one person it's really impactful right. I read um i read something that was that trevor baptiste put on us across recently about an experience he had when he was 17 and just to me that was like probably the hardest that i got hit by it because of I know Trevor on such a personal level. I know what he's, I know how he would act. And, you know, I think I know how he would act as a 17 year old and cannot imagine a cop putting him in that situation or, or that position based on who he is as a person. Sure. And so are there any examples that you have where like, you know, I think, I think that that individualized example to me was the one that I was like, Oh my God, how could someone do that to Trevor? Who's like the nicest, you know, most, most respectful kid and, and just good person. Yeah, I, I, I've been very fortunate um, to have not been in too many situations. Um, 
that that is due to my my parents and my family. Um, that is due to my general good sense sometimes of where to be, where not to be. Um, but I, I have been, you know, I, I've had little moments. I've been pulled over for nothing um, I, or or spoken to in in ways that I probably should not be spoken to um, by authority figures, uh, whether it's police or other authority figures. Um, I have, I, I, I was stopped by a cops one time. This is, and, and it turned out to be something of a funny story, but it just goes back to that random profiling and, um, you know, in an opportunity, or not an opportunity, but a situation that could have gone drastically wrong had it not been for um, one person just happened to come by. I was in high school and we were, we were walking down the street. This is actually at a state tournament, so we weren't like in our home area. Um, a teammate of mine and I were walking just on a walk. We really had no aim or anything. We just had to get out of the hotel for a little bit. We were walking around and cops roll up on us, like three cars roll up on us. Hop out, flashlight, guns pulled, like, my first reaction immediately, like hands up, didn't move. Long story short, our coach's wife just happened to be driving by because she had run to the grocery store or something. She had gone somewhere to pick something up and was coming back to the hotel and just happened to drive by and see us. And she was able to talk to the cops. Like who knows where that goes, you know, if, if that doesn't happen, if she doesn't happen to drive by. And, and, and all of it turned out to be like, they, they thought we matched the description of somebody that robbed an Outback Steakhouse. And that's right? like, that piece kind of makes it funny, but it's like that, like, who does that? You know, like. Well, to, I mean, the fact that your first inclination is like, hands up, don't move, right? Like that, why should you have to bear that burden of that has to be your, you know, granted, the cops pull a gun on me, I'm probably also going to stop and, and you know, put my hands up. But at the same time, like, I, I'm, I'm probably like, oh, there's a misunderstanding here. Like, I'll be able to talk through this as opposed to like, oh, my God, this, this could be something really bad. Yeah, I mean, and it was immediate. It was like as, as soon as the cop, as soon as the car stopped. And it wasn't like they just kind of rolled up and were looking and then, nah, like they rolled up on us. And, um, and as soon as they stopped, it was like, Boom. And don't say a word, don't move. Right. And these are things that you're taught when you're young. Like, I don't know if you've had, like, I don't know, your kids may be too young anyway, but I don't, I, I don't know if you expect to have a conversation about how to deal with cops when you get pulled over or in the street or whatever. Um, these, these are routine conversations. And I, I know everybody's heard that, but that's, it's real. Like, right. Those are conversations that are had in black families. You know, how do you deal with the police officers if you are pulled over or if you encounter them walking down the street or what? Like, those are things that some people don't ever have to talk about. Well, and that, you know, that, that kind of is a good segue. I, I have a three and a half year old and a one and a half year old. So, you know, that's the other piece of this is like they have they have, you know, they're so innocent right now. And, and um, my wife and I tried to talk to our three year old a little bit about race the other day. He said race cars. And I was like. Maybe wait a little bit longer. Um, 
So, but, but I think that, that piece of it and, and be curious to hear your perspective, especially working with, you know, you work with middle school kids primarily, right? Oh, and coach high school and, and then teach middle school. Yeah. So, I, I mean, how do you, how, how young have you seen where it's been impactful with the kids that you've worked with and when does that need to start happening in your eyes? Again, there's only, there's, everyone has perspectives, but in, from your yeah. perspective. Um, what I would say is this, um, and kudos to some of our students who have, have um, done some presentations with the faculty and, and shared some real uh, stories and insight that they have. Um, and, and those are high school students, but they're all coming back and saying um, that the conversations that they're having as high school students needed to have started in middle school and, and that they would be in a better place right now had they started those conversations in high school. And those are uh, black, Asian, white student, like um, all, all over the board. Um, I have always said that. I think, uh, I think middle schoolers are ready for these conversations. I think they're having them anyway. Uh, I think their parents are talking, are, are, are informing them. Uh, positively or negatively, consciously or unconsciously, right? They're, because they're paying attention to what their parents are saying. And so if, if we're not on the right side of that in, in terms of educating them, you know, I don't want to say uh, counter to what their parents are telling them um, or supporting what their parents are telling them, not, I, neither way, but just giving them the right tools and, and giving them the tools to process things. It's not just about telling them information, it's about teaching them how to look at things, teaching them how to understand things, teaching them how to question certain things. Um, I think certainly in middle school, that, that, that's, you know, once they're 12, 13, 14 years old, those things start, have to start happening. Um, but I'll also tell you that there are a lot of kids that are younger that see these things in their communities or hear about these things. Um, and depending on where you are, right? Like uh, a 10 year old in New York City, a 10 year old black kid in New York City is, is, is having a very different uh, reality and upbringing. And, and they can be two parent home, in a private school, whatever, right? Like but their reality and what they see on a daily basis is different than some kid in you know the suburbs of South Carolina, you know, growing up there and not having to witness anything. Well, um, like it or not, this is kind of forcing that into the forefront, right? And that's that's part of this. <laughs> and now they're all seeing it, right? Like especially sitting here in quarantine, you got the news on all day, like internet, YouTube, all this stuff. Like they're seeing it, and now they have to process it. And they're seeing it younger and younger, like it's. Every kid that's nine years old now has a phone or, you know, however old they are. I, I think a lot of nine-year-olds have phones right now, which is crazy. I don't know. Um, fortunately, I'm not having to raise a kid right now. Uh, I was just, you know, kind of jokingly, one of my friends was talking about, um, you know, all this stuff is going on and, and she's got a baby on top of it. And I was like, well, yeah, well, at least your baby's not. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 right now, and you actually have to explain all this stuff. Um, but it's, uh, 
but yeah, it, it, I think I think the conversations have to happen at a, at a young age. Um, I I spent a semester teaching in New York when I was in college, and we had some very real conversations with those kids, and they were fourth graders, and and they can handle it. You know, it it, it obviously it has to be age appropriate, but they can handle the concepts and the conversations. Um, and, and we need to trust that. We, we try to shield kids from so much, and, and we should, because some of this stuff, even for me right now, like watching this stuff is, is, is like PTSD, right? Like every time you turn around, you're getting slammed with it, slammed with it. Um, and, and so you have to kind of, you have to gauge that, but, but at the same time, you, you, have to, you have to give them knowledge. You have to help them to understand. You have to help them help them to process it. Otherwise, they're going to process it on their own. Um, and and like I said, from an educator standpoint, we don't know what these kids are getting at home. We don't know what their parents are necessarily saying to them, or how they're processing it, or or what they're telling them about those people. Um, and, and so it's important that we give them the tools to to think critically, and, and to process on their own, so that you know, all, all this stuff starts in the home. It, it, it starts with what you're learned and what you're exposed to and what you're not exposed to and what you never learn. Um, you know, again, I go back to a, the, from, from attacking this from a systemic standpoint, right? Like history books are, you know, history is written by the victors. And, and, and so there's so much history that is never taught, never told. And, um, you know, we've got to change that. We've got to change what we're taught in schools and what they're teaching in schools. So yeah, there's a lot, man. But I think to answer your question, we we got to start them young. You got to start them young. I don't know exactly what that age is for every family or for every school or community, but it, I, at least by middle school, sixth, seventh grade, you got to start to talk about these things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, this is. Uh been super enlightening for me and and frankly could could continue going on yeah for sure all day um we also you are the human highlight reel so i would love to show some of your lacrosse highlights but but i did you know i do want to also not you know move away is, is there anything else that you feel like is is really important to get off your chest or or that you feel like has been an eye-opener for you over these last couple of days um you know, I, I think uh, you you mentioned it, and you know, my story was not nearly as drastic as as the, some of the stories that that you'll hear from people. And I'm very fortunate for that, right? Like that that situation could have gone crazy wrong, but it didn't. And um, and, and I'm 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 happy about that. But because it could have, like the, the fact that it could have is important. Um, any one of these situations that we see on the news could have been me, could have been one of my friends, could have been one of my family members, um, and very easily. And, and I think that's one of the things that, that people don't want to believe. I, I remember in 2012, that season, I believe that was exactly when. Uh, when the Trayvon Martin situation happened. And I had on my cleats, and I said, I, I, wrote, I am Trayvon. Um, and I, I remember being in a game, and, and uh, 
the defender that I was playing against looked down and he, he read it and he was kind of like, <laughs> Hey, what's up, man? I say hi to Chaz. Chaz played on the Riptide. You were the Riptide helmet major. What's up, boss? I say hi to Chaz. <laughs> All right, we're little gonna, Mitch, crazy. We're talking, okay? You can read on. You can read books on the back. And um, yeah, but the like, the look of like disgust and anguish, or not anguish, but like, you know, um, disregard um, for the idea that I would be in support of Trayvon Martin who was gunned down by some, you know, like random, you know, wannabe cop. Uh, it, it could be, it could be me or it could be, you know, uh, Miles Jones, could be Kyle Harrison. It could be because when, we, when you're walking around, they don't know that you went to Hopkins. I don't know that you went to Brown. I don't know that you went to Duke. I don't know that you have a four-year degree or a master's degree. They don't know that you're a professional athlete. They don't know that you have a lot of white friends, right? Like, it, it could very well be any of us. And, um, and I think one of my thoughts, and, and this, this, I guess, is, is the kind of the point of it, a thought that I routinely have when these situations occur is that there's a lot of people who like me, who are my friends, who follow me on whatever, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, right? Like people who are well-meaning, people who, um, who love me and love black people and this, that, and the third, but don't think any of this stuff is a real problem and think that people are making it up. A, a thought that I routinely have is that they wouldn't get it or I wonder if they would get it if it were me. Like, would I have to die for them to get this? Would I have to be shot by a cop for them to, to, to understand this? Like, and the fact that I have that thought is disturbing. It's, it's, really disturbing but it's a legitimate thought that i have routinely when this stuff happens that's like every every time i see somebody that i think i know or that that uh that i that somebody that considers me a friend when i see them like disregarding all this stuff my first thought is i have i would have to die for this for them to understand because 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 then what is it then is it like well I, I love that guy, but he must have done something. Like something had to have happened. Like what happened? Like it couldn't be this. Like are they that stuck in their ways? Or would that be the eye-opening thing? Like does some black dude they know have to die for them to really believe? And I'll be honest, right? That that how hard the, the Trevor Baptiste thing hit me, that's kind of a, a good indicator, right? It's like it took someone that close to me having an experience that ended up being completely fine so it is it is a challenge and like that's where we all have to get better being empathetic and understanding the you know where where people are coming from in this because it is it's it's 
it's hard to put yourself in someone else's shoes. Um, yeah. And even harder in a culture that is so divisive right now. So I think that's where hopefully this gives people an opportunity to at least open their mind to that possibility, whether or not they do it. And, and again, actions speak louder than words. There's no quick fix. Like, but if this helps one person be like, you know what, I need to think a little bit harder about what it's like to be black in lacrosse, to be black in America, then, then at least they're having that thought and that can spark some action in the future that, right. that maybe goes in a better direction as opposed to a negative direction. And then we just got to make that happen on a wide scale, right? Real. So George is George is narrating uh, his first book of lacrosse. I uh, dang. I don't think I don't think you're in there. There's some good there's some good uh, the good shots of some MLL guys though. Joel White's in there. Joel White's his favorite player now because of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not you. No, no, I'm not in the book, so I didn't make the cut. <laughs> Jeez, um, man, the wall, but you're not in the book, so it doesn't matter. He doesn't spend enough time in this room, I guess. We're gonna have to make him start sleeping in here. Well, uh, yeah, Chaz, I just want to, you know, first and foremost, I thank you. I, I like, like you said, I, I don't want, I don't want anyone to feel like they have additional burden given all the mental challenges that this has put on, on everyone. But I really appreciate your insight, appreciate your perspective and have taken away some really good things. I think I, I'm hopeful I can enact in my day-to-day -day life. And, and if nothing else that we can spread this message to some other people so they can do the same. Yeah, man. I appreciate the time. Uh, well, should we get into some lacrosse? Yeah, let's do it. Why not? Uh, awesome. Well, well, I know, I know, you've got uh, other stuff going on, but but just briefly, I I couldn't find any. We talked about this. Like the only stuff we have of us in college is on DVD, and none of us right. have a DVD converter. So uh, I don't. I couldn't find any brown highlights, but I've got I've got some good uh, some good LA Riptide where we spent time together as a team. Got your New Balance commercial, which was uh, you were the first. Correct me if I'm wrong. First New Balance athlete, right? Lacrosse uh, athlete. Lacrosse athlete. First New Balance lacrosse athlete. And then you and Mikey Powell getting a little less stop motion video going. That that was cool. Uh, I don't know if you're gonna show that, but are you gonna show that? Let me see. I have. I think I have your first New Balance commercial. I can pull up the the Mikey video though. Sorry, so, the, the Chaz video that also features Mikey. So the cool thing about the the chat with MP or the commercial with MP was we uh first of all it took us that's a 30 second spot it took us nine hours to shoot um, <laughs> they there was like a two hour rain delay we shot that at, at down in Durham at Duke um here let's, so, let's get this let's get this going while you while you yeah. uh, we gotta we gotta give the people what they want so th so that was a uh, there's a two hour rain delay, but so we, there were seven hours of actually shooting. Um, but what's really cool about it is these are all still photos. Oh, wow. So there's no video in this whole commercial spot. So that's why it took nine hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And who was on, who was playing defense? It was to take a picture with me posing in the air like that for so long. <laughs> who who's playing goalie and who's playing defense out here do you remember yes so <laughs> i don't remember everybody that was in it but brett bucktooth is in there i think he's a defender <laughs> um kevin lavelle is i want to is it kevin lavelle i think kevin lavelle is the goalie <laughs> i think i don't quote me on that but i know brett bucktooth is in there 
Um, it was fun. It was fun shooting that. But like I said, yeah, man, those were all still pictures that I don't know how many it took to, to make that, but uh, it was pretty cool. And just like seeing them shoot certain things and then we go back and, and look at every shot on the, uh, on the camera. And where'd you guys film this? this? That was at Duke. At Duke, that's what you said. And so you obviously did it at night, right? So what time did you start and when did you finish? Oh, man. So we got out there. We did some, like, random, like, interviews and um, and some just other random shots at, like, uh, I want to say maybe 2 o'clock, like, mid-afternoon. And then we – yeah, and, and we did some other there – were, there were some other, like uh, – you know, brand promo things that they were doing. We probably started shooting the commercial itself like five o'clock, six o'clock. And um, yeah, we didn't leave there till easy 1230. <laughs> and it might've been later. All right, I was, I was thinking you were going like a 9, 9 p.m. start to like 3 a.m. in the morning. Uh, no, no, we started, we started, cause we shot it, I wanna say in like, early February um so you know it was still getting dark early but I let's say five let's say six o'clock five o'clock yeah probably about five o'clock whenever it got dark whenever it first got dark that's when we started it and um and then we had a two-hour rain delay at like nine <laughs> that's what killed it makes for good shots though the misty air the water yeah, oh it's awesome that helps. Well, this there is are, I love this one because this shows some some Riptide stuff in it. Yeah, man. So, so I signed a Brian 2007, right after this season. This was 2007, and um, and then I signed to New Balance right after the 2008 season, um, which you know, like that would have been, as you know, going into our next year with the Riptide, and then and then they folded. So then I ended up in Ohio, or not Ohio, at Chicago, which is where, where that blue is coming from. Um, and so that was actually, that was the first reveal of the blue uniforms. That was before uh, they had even switched over. They were still red and white. That's right. That's right. They had the red and white. Uses. I love this uniform. This is the all-star one. With, this, is in, this was in Denver. This was like 20,000 people there, right? I, I think that's top, top two all-star uniforms they put together yeah they had the dragons on the side right it was both, oh. both dragons or just the just the white team was dragons and the uh, other both outs. both and i i still have the shorts um that that clip before yeah diving behind the goal is always one of my favorites because uh is that on gable because oh, i think it's i think it's dope like it's just one of my favorite like things but look at like right there that layout on the replay um but what what was really cool about it to me was a year before that i've told this story a bunch lately because the that clip started popping up this spring on instagram on various accounts but what was really cool about that to me was a year before that uh mike powell had his behind the goal where he dove across but he and I had talked about it. So I had been thinking of that shot for like a year. Like it had been in my head, like, I got this, I got this. And, or more than a year, actually. And so we're at practice and 
or after practice, MP comes up to me and he goes, hey, man, I got one that's going to change the game. And uh, <laughs> so you had already been thinking of it, and he said I had it. already been thinking of it. He says it, and I'm like, he's, he's going to take my goal. He's going to take my goal. <laughs> so we, and we, we literally, we talked about the shot, like, in that moment. And he did it about a week after that. And, and you know, I, he had just cleared the net and wrapped it around. You went like over the crossbar and wrapped it around. Well, that was so he he did it, and everybody was like mind blown. And I was like, shit, we just talked about that. <laughs> like we just talked about that, and he beat me to it. And then so it took me another year to get to it, but um, but it happened. And and when you're when you did like the the behind the goal or any kind of dives, is that something that you would? predestined or did you read the defender and be like oh I guess I can or is it a mix of the two I I the time I read the defender there there are a few times where I I kind of uh predetermined it like over the top is easier to predetermine the dives dives you have to kind of read everything well Um, because you have the opportunity to come in front or behind right with over yeah in front or behind or you have to uh you know you have to have an exit plan when you're going to do those because if things close up, you, you're going to kill yourself. Right. You're just going right, right in the back of the net. It's, that's and, yeah. And so that's one of the things that I, that I kind of remind people is like, there's an art to diving and there, it's a, it's a skill. Like you actually have to read certain things. You're not just taking off and, and jumping at, at, you know, at all costs. Well, in that high risk, high reward. Yeah. Who was, who gave you the hardest time about not scoring on one and going into crease? Anybody? Uh, in terms of like just trying to keep me from doing it, you're saying? Yeah, or like, or like, you know, Ryan Boyle's got a reputation for for giving teammates an earful if they don't, you know, if they step in the crease or, or do something like uh, oh, bad possession. Like, Come on, Chaz. Good question. Um, not not so many people. I think I think what uh, what I got more of was like couple coaches kind of saying, you know, pick your times. Yeah. Um, which, you know, yes and no. <laughs> it's like, here's the thing, you know, if, if Steph Curry is shooting the ball, you're not telling him to pick his times because he's a shooter, right? If, if Rabel is going down the alley, you're not telling him to pick his time. He's going down the alley. Like, that's what he does. Um, diving, getting to the creases. What I like that to me was as a high, as high percentage of shot as anybody else taking any other shot in the game. And um, so occasionally I took offense to that, but um, but not a ton. You know, like there there are some certainly some times where there were better options than me diving, and you know that's that's the deal. But that's like I said, that's the same as anybody taking a shot going down the alley, you know, certainly it's a high percentage shot for some guys, but a lot of times there are better things that could be done than you taking that shot on the run, you know, 15 seconds into the shot clock. Well, Um, bottom line, bottom line, you go in the crease, you get a quick time to get back and drop. You take it on the run alley shot, that could be transition going the opposite way right away, right? Exactly. So there's a lot that that played into it. Like I wasn't as reckless as I think maybe people thought I was. but I, guys that played it well, uh, Gettleman played it well, sort of. 
um, he got me on one good where he, I, I actually, I think I had him beat, but he, he got me in the hip and uh, like right on the bone and I lost the ball in the air. Um, but but uh, Schwartzman used to play it really well because he would step out early and he was he was big enough and he and he would try to I say early but he actually timed it really well right because you can step out but it, if you miss time it it's still a goal well I remember facing you a couple times and and being like I think he's gonna dive here and it's I'm like I'm not gonna get to him but I'm gonna just try to time up when he jams yeah. and meet his sticks and the ball comes straight across or just I, yeah, I, I, remember, I remember being like I just gotta time this right like hope, I, hope we were, I think we were maybe uh I think we might have split on those. We might be one one to one. I feel like that sounds right because I think one time I got it and one time you scored and I was like, damn it, I, I missed time that one. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, we you know, I, I know you gotta gotta run, but um, we always end with some some quick hitters. Uh, so most how about how about uh, best place to play lacrosse for you? Uh the dome. Like Denver and Denver in in, in front of 30,000 people is pretty darn cool. But playing in college in the Dome was a lot of fun. And especially at that time when when Cuse was like the team. Um, it, it's the energy in there is fun. The the history in there is fun. And, you know, and you got an opportunity every time you go in there to take down one of the top teams in the nation. Did you guys play them all four years that you were Brown? We played them all four years I was there. Um, we played them to overtime my freshman year at home, which which we should have won. We uh, we didn't close it out. We were up at the end of the game, didn't close it out. They scored super late. Like, I, I want to say under a minute to go into overtime. And um, and then we hit a couple pipes in overtime, too, and ended up losing it. Um, and then my – junior year my junior year we were we were up I think we were up like four and then uh we had a guy get hurt like a starting senior attackman captain get hurt um and they also dropped into a zone and we didn't really have an answer to this zone and uh and they came back and, and ended up beating us. I don't remember what the score was, but um, that was a tough one because at the time we were undefeated. Um, so that would have been a huge win. What year and was that? That was 2004 when they won it. Uh, Quick aside, are these the mixes? These aren't the mixes that you're jumping over here, is it? No. Okay. They're not good, but they're not. Okay. I don't think they are. Um, okay, that's really how old we are because they were on the zoom adult I know. last week hey man tuck's tuck's son is now the head coach at my high school how about that guys coach tucker's son ryan tucker is now the head coach at my high school he's the first new coach there in like 40 something years um but yeah no so that that was that was the junior year uh and then my senior year Ask Buckley about this one. <laughs> we're we're uh, we're up. We're winning. His, it's like I want I want to say maybe the I don't remember if it was a timeout or if it was at the end of the quarter. Long story short, his stick gets checked. Illegal stick down three minutes. They rattle off three, 
and we lost that game by one. <laughs> it, it haunts him to this day. Oh, was it illegal too deep or illegal wouldn't wouldn't shake out? Wouldn't shake out. Oh yeah, well obviously because it was three minutes not released for right. Yeah, and it was it was like, and he, you know, let him tell, and I won't question him, but he <laughs> like he's like it was a brand new stick. I just strung it. I got it checked before the game. It was all good, and they checked it, and the, the ball would come out. And that was back, you know, when everybody was starting to make the sticks that were like super pinch and everything was like. So you didn't have any wiggle room. If the strings were in there and it didn't come out, you were out of luck, man. Yeah, that's that's a tough so that, at the end of the game. That one, uh, I was in him. Like, I, I went on the door. Like, to me, that could happen. The only thing that I really hated about that game, like, really hated about that game was doing a press conference afterwards. And, like, we got no credit for, like, playing well or – or like it was all like seemed like the Syracuse guys were off today. I was like, what? <laughs> like, damn, can we get some credit? <laughs> um, but yeah, man, that that was it. Uh, how about best teammate you've ever played with? Oh, got a lot, man. Besides Mitch Belisle, uh, I I've been very fortunate to play with some great teammates. I think in college, uh, Chuck Tower is a guy who, who got hurt, like. I don't even want to start naming names because I'll leave people out. There, there are so many great teammates that I've played with. Um, Hubbard, K-18, Brett, Greg Bythe. Like, everybody um, everybody from the Riptide days, like, I, I don't I, – I, I'd be hard-pressed to, like, pick somebody that I was like, nah, he wasn't that, that cool to be around. <laughs> uh but in, in college, I was very fortunate to play with a lot of good guys as well. Uh, the Ohio Machine days were great. My last run with uh, my last run with the launch, 2017. Those were a bunch of good guys too. Yeah, back in the home state of Florida, right? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we'll end on uh, on this one. If you had to pick one lacrosse memory that was your ultimate best lacrosse memory, which one's standing out at the top? Yeah, so I, I always I always go to this one, I, and I've got some good memories, but this is my favorite, man, because I think it just um, – objectively, it, it paints a picture of who I am, but I, I think, like, personally, it just was one of those great moments where I was happy. I was very happy. Um, I, I mentioned earlier that I spent the semester in New York teaching, and, um, you know – set this project uh or set up this project for for the kids uh about choosing positive role models and setting goals for themselves and all this stuff and it was just so impactful and so like fun um and the kids were awesome and i called back to brown and um i said hey man like is there any chance we can get these kids up for a game at some point and they were like yeah done like we'll we'll make this happen we'll figure it out but short answer is yes we can make that happen and um so they end up coming up to our last game of the season at home against princeton and um <clears throat> to give why it was so powerful for me like in context i i went into that game i think like one point behind ryan boyle um and total points at the time and i end up with no points that game, 
I don't know how I got blanked, but I did. No points, no goals, no assists. Um, we lost the game. It's probably Dan Coco's yellow covering you, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, going, going into that game, I think if we had won that game, we might get into the tournament. Um, you, you know the days of having no Ivy tournament. Um, Coin flip for the three-way tie. Oh, exactly. And, and I think that year, everybody kind of beat up on each other a little bit. So that, that, that was a huge game for us. So no points, lose the game. Um, but when I, as I'm walking off the field, like I've got 20 kids, some of their parents, all like they had signs and T-shirts and they were all cheering. And like they had, they came up early, they had lunch, they spent the day touring the campus. Um, just a lot of like really cool, fun stuff for them. Some of those kids had never been out of the city. Um, and, and, but to like hit such a low point from, from an athlete standpoint and then look out, look up and realize like, yeah, but this day was so much bigger for so many other people. And you had a part in that, that was huge for me. Um, so I, I that, that's always my favorite moment, uh, lacrosse wise. Certainly puts it in perspective. Um, well, that, that, you know, perspective, I think has kind of been the, uh, the theme of this, of this talk so far. And I, I can't say how much I appreciate, you know, I think the fact that not only what you've done in, in lacrosse on the field, off the field, but now that you're, you know, a fellow educator teaching both the sport and kids, I, I think that's something that is really powerful and, and really, uh, you know, can't say enough about you as a person and, and how much I enjoyed our time together, even though it was brief on the riptide, but, but then getting to know you over the years. So thanks so much for, for opening your heart to, to me and to, to us and hopefully to people who get to watch and listen to this and hopefully can, can chip away at chip away at something that's really important to man. Pleasure is mine. Uh, thank you for having me. I, I, you know, I always appreciate any opportunity I get like this to, to share and, and just be a part of something a little bit bigger. So thank you. Awesome. Well, have a great, uh, great weekend, Chaz. Thanks again, and I'm sure we'll be in touch soon. Do the same, man.